readers, writers, listeners, welcome. This is the Page Turners Podcast, and I am your host, Miranda, an avid reader, a published author, and a longtime listener of podcasts. This is the Page Turners Podcast, Season 2, Episode 13. Merry almost Christmas! Happy holidays! I hope you are enjoying the season in whatever way you celebrate. I really can't believe that we're coming to the end of 2023 and we're just days away from not only Miss America, but the end of season two of the Page Turners podcast. I'm really happy to share with you all that we will be wrapping up season two with another 15 episodes that I am endlessly thankful to be able to bring to your ears. It's been a whirlwind, you know, season one and season two all taking place just within 2023 and maybe one episode in 2024. But I can't believe that this dream came to fruition and here we are in one year, 30 episodes when it's all said and done. And I'm just, ah, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're wrapping up 2023. We're about to wrap up season two and we're that much closer to Miss America. But with all of that being said, now episode 13, which is where we're at, is centered around representation, but more specifically indigenous representation. I am incredibly honored to introduce to you today's guest, Clementine Bordeaux. Chante washte na pe chuzapi, Clementine Bordo imachapi, waziahaha alwatie. My name is Clementine Bordo, and I grew up on the Pine Ridge Reservation, uh, and I'm currently a University of California presidential postdoc scholar. So I just finished my PhD in <laughs> culture and performance at UCLA um, in June 2023, and. I started my postdoc in July, um, but kind of have just spent the summer enjoying South Dakota and being home. Uh, so, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you today. That's incredible. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. You know, I was at the, um, Oglala Lakota nation, Wachipi and rodeo this summer. And our moms ran into each other because my mom, um, her very first year of teaching was on the reservation, the Pine Ridge reservation. And your mom was the principal of the school, which is really incredible. You come from, uh, you know, an amazing, strong woman from what I've heard from my mom. And so they connected. And then I'm really thankful that we had the opportunity to connect as well. So I'm, I'm very excited for today's conversation. I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah, I, um, it's so funny because, you know, my, both my parents are educators and a K through eight education. And I swore that I would never be a teacher. Um, and then here I am with a PhD and most likely will be a college professor, but I feel like I could handle adults. I just, I don't think I could be a K through eight. That's a special, <laughs> a special type of person that can handle, um, our, our K through eight teachers are just saints. <laughs> Oh, yes, absolutely. My my mom is now a principal as well, um, teacher for 20 plus years. Um, and it, it takes a special person. It really does. And they all deserve a round of applause because same here. As much yeah. as I think I could do maybe collegiate level or high school, um, you know, those young minds, you have to have somebody who's really able to communicate well and just teaching is such a unique profession and those who can do it, I applaud. I applaud all of them. It's incredible. Yes. 
<laughs> well, to actually move into what the podcast is about, of course, literacy. Um, I first want to talk a little bit about you and what you've gone to school for and what you've gotten your PhD in, because I think that will really lend itself to kind of our topic of conversation. Yeah, I so I had a kind of roundabout journey in higher education, you know, coming from a family of educators, it was really hard to avoid, right? There was no question <laughs> if I was going to college, but when I was going to college, where I was going to college. Uh, but when I was an undergraduate, I, I majored in theater, right? And that, which was kind of uncommon, uh, especially from like a kid from the reservation, everyone would be like, what are you going to do with a theater degree? Um and I was like, whatever I want. Uh, but it was really challenging after I got my undergraduate degree to come home and kind of figure out, like, what do I do with a theater degree? Uh, and most of that led to like community work, community organizing. I eventually went back to get my master's in communication with a focus in uh, Indigenous studies or Native American studies um, at the University of Washington. And that really kind of changed my perspective on what we can do in higher education. And I then worked um, in an administrative position at UCLA for about six years after my master's and uh, and I still wanted more, right? I was like, okay, I think I wanna be able to like run an academic program at some point. So so I decided to get my PhD and I, and I stayed at UCLA uh, and I went into the World Arts and Cultures Department, which is an interdisciplinary uh, focus, both in we we do cultural studies and performance studies. And I'm more on the cultural studies side. So my dissertation really looked at the impact of Lakota creative practices and how we utilize creative practice to communicate our relationship. Uh, and that could be relationship with each other, relationship with our culture, relationship with our with the land, with the region. And so I did a lot of reading and a lot of writing, <laughs> uh, but I felt really great being at UCLA because they have a really strong um, indigenous studies kind of um, focus across the campus. So we have faculty in in all aspects, um, all like all disciplines. And that was one reason I chose to stay there because we just have amazing faculty across the campus. Uh, and then I chose my department because it was interdisciplinary. So I was able to kind of pull on different aspects of um, of literature, of anthropology, of history, you know, uh, gender studies, right? I was able to pull on all these different aspects um, with a kind of focus on Lakota culture. Definitely. So I appreciate you explaining that because one of the three main pieces of my literacy initiative is representation. And especially, you know, where we grew up and here in South Dakota, we've got nine reservations. Making sure that culture is represented and that people see themselves within the pages of a book, they can feel themselves in literature, I believe is immensely important. And maybe you can kind of speak to that as well. Yeah, I think representation is incredibly important and not, and I think the hard part is, right, like you're in a position of power with your representation as far as like being in spot, being in the spotlight, having these extraordinary experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the focus of my research is how we're articulating that in the everyday, right? 
not all of us get to have extraordinary experiences. Mm -hmm. A lot of us just want to see ourselves reflected in an everyday circumstance and, and not feel isolated, right? So, you know, I grew up in Pine Ridge and I live here in Rapid City right now. And there's so much tension sometimes in Rapid City where you're like, am I being targeted? Am I being profiled, right? But like, we just want to be people, like Lakota people just want to be able to exist. Um, and oftentimes we're put in these circumstances where it's not safe or we don't feel like we're seen. And so for me, that was one reason I kind of turned towards creative practice because, you know, you can go and like anyone can go to a powwow in our region and be welcomed, right? Mm-hmm. And get to see Lakota people in in these beautiful circumstances that are not violent, that are not like out of the ordinary for us. Right. And so I think it's really important to try to figure out those ways that we can find representation that isn't extraordinary, but are just in that every day and, and, and not replicating harm, um, which is very challenging. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard to do that because um, we keep getting put in these circumstances where it has to be extraordinary, you know. I hope it, I hope that made sense. No, that makes sense. I love I love how you kind of took that from like this big picture, yeah, like extraordinary circumstances to just every day because we are all people. You know, we do live in this everyday world. Being Miss South Dakota is only a one year thing, and then I go back to being Miranda. You know, and and so I, I love that kind of analogy for it. But I, I want to know, and maybe this is a hard question that you don't have an answer for, and, and maybe somebody listening will have some ideas, but how do we do that? How do we make sure that when we do provide this representation in literature, in media, in whatever format it may be, that we aren't always focusing on that extraordinary circumstance or that negativity, but rather just showing people and showing our Lakota people especially? Yeah, I think some of it comes down to uh, just giving people the opportunity to be themselves, that we can we can enjoy the same things and it doesn't have to be an isolated incident, right? Like I think about, I don't know, for example, like the Barbie movie that just came out, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that was a, a global phenomenon, right? A lot of people played with Barbies. A lot of people went and enjoyed that movie, but I... I was watching through social media, like all these young women and young men, like posting about going to see the Barbie movie, dressing up in pink. Right. Mm -hmm. But they, they made it like native. Right. Um, They had like a ribbon skirt or they had beadwork on and, but it was pink and it was Barbie themed. Right. And I think just recognizing like, oh, we can have these like everyday interactions or engage in popular culture um, while still being ourselves. Like, I think just highlighting those moments is really important and really cool. Um, And then also just, I think for me too, like for all, for indigenous people, like across the United States is learning about indigenous people regionally, right? Like I was in LA for 10 years and I really pushed myself to get to know and understand the history of that place. And, um, like learn about the tribal nations there, right? I think that's the other part is like recognizing that native people are on a continuum, right? Our culture is on a continuum. So it's not stagnant, it's not historicized in a certain period, but that we're like able to grow and evolve as well. So we look 
you know, you and I look very different, but we come from the same community, you know? So it's like recognizing that not everyone looks the same, not everyone acts the same, but right, like we all have these connections to place and culture um, that is just in that everyday. So as we educate ourselves about a place regionally that we can then start to recognize like the diversity of that place too. Definitely. And I think books are kind of a an accessible and, and not always accessible for everyone, but maybe a an easy tool to kind of start that for people to see that. And I think authors can start to, you know, put that day-to-day in there, you know, with their characters maybe wearing a ribbon skirt or having beaded earrings or reflecting, you know, a different culture. And and I, I think that's really, really something incredible that I've realized through the last few years with really focusing on literacy and focusing on representation is there are authors doing that, but now we need to seek it out and we need to make sure that we are also taking that in. It's there, but we now need to internalize that and we need to make sure that that's a piece of us as well. Yeah, I think, um, for example, I've, I'm a huge kind of sci-fi end of the world uh, <laughs> fan. But um, this this first season of The Last of Us, which was a show on HBO, mm-hmm. there was an episode where they had two Native characters and they never really say like, oh, these are Native characters, right? But you, they come on screen and it's like Elaine Miles and Graham Greene and Elaine Miles has like these huge beaded earrings. And I was like, it is the apocalypse. And she's there in her earrings. <laughs> um, and they jolt, like they have like this Native humor Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, wow, that's such a perfect example of how we can just have these characters and these stories that are native, but it's not like overt, right? Yeah. Um, it was just really exciting to see that on screen. Um, and then when I experienced that, right, in reading or in stories, like it's it's also very exciting to just mm-hmm. get to see a native person just live their life as they are. Yeah, that representation in all forms is so important. Um, And I'm so glad that we kind of, you know, tackled that piece of this conversation right off the bat, because when we did, I want to say reconnect, because I feel like we potentially may have met um, when we were kids. (laughs) Um, But I I was so just so in awe of everything that you've done and that you're going to continue to do. Uh, And I just think it's so important that we have these conversations. With that being said, though, there are always questions that I I love to ask people. And usually these are questions that I ask authors and you are an author, you know, you, you are writing your thesis and, and I cannot wait to hopefully someday read something that you've written, but do you, or did you as a kid have a passion for reading and, and what did that look like for you? Yeah, I did. I was thinking about this. I was talking to my partner. I was like, I know she's going to ask this question. I got to <laughs> think of an answer. Uh, but actually my, my fam, obviously my parents are educators, um, but my family, we are avid readers and we actually really enjoy audiobooks mm-hmm. uh, because we had to drive everywhere, right? The reservation is 90 miles from Rapid City, right? Like the closest Walmart, what growing up was 60 miles in Shatter, Nebraska. You had to go anywhere for anything. <laughs> yes, right. And my, you know, we lived in Batesland and my mom worked in Oglala. So that was like a 45 minute drive. Um, and I went to school at, at um, Holy Rosary Mission. So, right. So like my mom avid, like was an avid audiobook listener. I remember it used to be tapes and then it was CDs. <laughs> and then now, you know, now it's all through an app. Um, right. 
But that was one thing we really, audiobooks were a huge thing in my family and they still are. Um, but we all are like, we, we all enjoy reading and it was a lot of sci-fi mystery. My mom loves a murder mystery novel. <laughs> um, I, we all, my family is a huge Stephen King fan. So oh, we've yeah. read all those horror um, genre writing, um, Dean Coots. Um, and then as, as I think as we've all gotten older and become adults, we've started to listen to more and more um, native authors and um, different genre, write different genres now. Uh, and then, and both audiobooks and reading. Um, but audiobooks were, that's what I remember the most as a kid. Um, and I was also read too. Uh, I remember when I graduated college, my sister got me the book I used to have all, everyone read to me when I was like five or six years old. Um, or four or five, even before, maybe before I started school. But yeah, we were we were definitely um, we read to each other a lot, and we read out loud a lot, and listened to audiobooks a lot. I love that you talk about that connection with like listening to audiobooks with your parents as you were driving places, because I get that. <laughs> um, but also reading, you know, with your mom and your sister. That reminds me that the year that my mom and I lived in Oglala when she was a teacher at the school there. That's one of the things that I remember the most is bedtime stories, you know, because that was I mean, I was in pre kindergarten, so I was five years old. And that that is one of the most remarkable memories I have from the house that we lived in was the fairy tale book that we had. And it was this thick, huge book of fairy tale stories. Um, and looking back on that, you know, I, I have lots of memories of the school, my mom being a teacher spent a lot of time there. But I don't remember there being like a public library or anything mm. in the area. And so as you're talking about that, and as I kind of reflect on that, I think it'd be really interesting to get your perspective on the access piece mm. of my initiative of why we need to have access to books, especially on our reservations. I mean, South Dakota is rural and lots of people don't have access, but we're seeing even more so on our reservations that students and children and even adults don't have that it's it's necessary right that's something we need to improve upon yeah I don't remember ever going to a public library growing up um you know there are the library the I remember the my middle school and high school library was pretty well stocked um right. but I was you know I was at at Red Cloud which was is technically a private school on the reservation so they have funding sources that some of the tribal schools do not have. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's no, you know, there's no public libraries that I can think of on the reservation aside from what's already at the K through 12 schools. Um, and I never, I remember, I don't think I ever went to a public library. I used to do a summer program at South Dakota School of Mines. So I had, would go to, we had experience going to that library Right. But it wasn't really, even in college, I kind of just ignored the library. I probably shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get that. There were times where it was like, do I have to go in there? Yeah, do I have to go to the library? <laughs> um, and it really wasn't until grad school when I was living in Seattle. And they have an amazing downtown public library. It's beautiful architecture. And I used to just go, because I was like a poor grad student. Like I would take the bus downtown and I would just wander around the public library. And that was the first time I ever really had that experience. Um, cause I never, I, I'll, I think the other part too, is I never really thought to do that in like rapid city or Shadron, right. Those were the two closest towns growing up. 
Um, but I love a public library. And then when I started my PhD, like my partner and I would go to the public libraries in, in, but we were in Los Angeles, right. And there's just a ton of public libraries, but Mm -hmm. yeah, there, that is definitely an issue. Um, or just the idea of like checking out books. Like, I don't know if that's still a trend. Um, I did it, you know, in junior high and high school, but I don't know how many students do that now, you know, um, but also there's just so much more access online, hopefully, that people are are um, getting access to. Yeah, we hope so. We hope so. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can you can find audiobooks. You can literally read. I mean, I am taking the year off, but we'd be in commercial breaks when I was working on the news. And if I found a good book online, I was like reading yeah. chapters as much as I could in between, you know, segments of the show. Um, yes. So there's definitely ways to to find access to books. But I think that physical component, do you have any ideas of how we can improve that? You know, and I say we, of course, the two of us, but kind of overarching society, you know, South Dakotans as a whole, how do we improve that? How do we make sure that you know, maybe the the student who isn't in love with books like we were growing up, how do we make sure that they have access so that they can find that and they can build up that foundation in literacy like we had? Do you have any ideas? I know that's a huge question and no. I just throw these at people, but I, I love the off the cuff answers. <laughs> I, you know what I wish now as an adult, right? I had to read a lot for my dissertation, but mm-hmm. it was very rare that I was reading for pleasure. And I wish there was a, a, a pizza hut book it <laughs> yeah <laughs> can I get an incentive right like what's the incentive for me I need to that read? for adults <laughs> yeah I would love that just a pizza right um but yeah I think I mean if anything it has to come from it has to be a family affair right like we need to have the whole family of involved in in reading and and accessing that and and I think coming back to that idea of representation like there there are ways that we can start to see those stories of indigenous representation broadly right mm-hmm. um uh, and honestly audiobooks are uh, for me a really good start um I have friends now that voice audiobooks right how cool um, I know it's really exciting job <laughs> yeah when I heard right and they're like native friends and they're reading native stories That's and incredible. I just I think like what what would that look like if we you know that's one way to start people kind of thinking about these stories as accessible right mm-hmm. you're hearing a native person read a native story about you right that you can relate to and then hopefully that would spark an interest then to get other people involved right um but it, it you know it t- it would have to t- it has to come from the family unit and that's i think that is the challenging part right how do we get our parents wanting to read to their children when maybe they are like working two jobs, right? So like, is it grandma? Is it grandpa? Is it cousin? Like who's reading with, you know, our students? And that's the part I think that is the most challenging. Mm -hmm. And then making sure that you have access to things that are attainable. You know, there are, there are so many people that cannot read above an eighth grade level. There are a lot of people that can't even read above a third grade level. And yeah. so that, I think that's part of the challenge too, is, is, you know, you're helping that next generation grow, 
but are you even there? Are you even Mm -hmm. able to read with them or to provide them the book or even know where to go to get a book or to find an audio book or whatever it may be? It's, it's not just like a generational issue. I think it's a societal one. You know, we all kind of have to figure out, and I hate to say figure out that literacy is important, but I think it's something that we have to relearn. A lot of people forget or have seemed to have forgotten just how fundamental reading is and how important it is for every aspect of your life. And while, yes, you can get by with the bare minimum, getting by is is not the goal. You know, it's it's to be able to build yourself up and be able to build up your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, whatever that may be. So yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, kind of looking at that, you know, familial unit in, in whatever way that looks like is is a really good place to start. I also think too, like culturally, we can think about it from a storytelling perspective, right? We have a history of storytelling. We have a, I mean, part of my dissertation was talking about our history of poetics, right? How have we used poesis throughout, throughout time and space, right? And it, right. And it doesn't always come down to using words, right? We've, we painted, we've created beautiful regalia, we, people sing songs, right? So it's also like, putting that literacy hand in hand that sometimes it it isn't written down, right? So how can we encourage storytelling, right? How do we train the next generation of storytellers that may or may not have to write it down, but are able to tell stories like understanding that narrative arc, right? I think that's also very important. Um, right. Coming from a theater background, I'm like, how do we tell this story, you know, through performance? Um, right. But all those things. But are that's important. Together. That's how you yeah. draw people in. And that's that's kind of the beauty of oral storytelling. And and yeah. then being able to put that to paper, if that's what you choose to do, is you are you're building people up. You're 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 creating a story. You're creating that story arc and that excitement and that build up and whatever it may be. Uh, so I, I think that's so true. And I, I think that's kind of the perfect way to think about it, especially with the theater background. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. I want, yeah, we need more storytellers. We need more people to, and to create new stories, right? I think that's the other part is like, how do we, how do we create a, a new playwright, right? It's our new author, a new um, poet, right? All those things are tied back to literacy in a, in a particular way. So who are our new storytellers? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, that brings me back to something you had mentioned before, um, are some of these books that are being voiced by Indigenous, like, voice actors, I guess is probably what they are. Um, What are some of these books? I think it would be incredible to be able to listen to them and share them. I might be putting you on the spot asking you what they are. (laughs) No, there's... So there's a young adult novel called Ancestor Approved, and it's an anthology. So it's a bunch of short stories put together um, that are all about Native youth, right, in different contexts. And that that one was voiced. Um, I have a couple of friends that were were voice actors for that audiobook. Um, and then there are other, there was a Native horror mystery called Ooh. Shudder. Okay. Um, I can't think of authors right now. Um, I should have okay. written these down. But <laughs> yeah, ancestor- get them from you later, and I can yeah. in the in the show notes. Um, <laughs> but ancestor approved is the young adult one, and then shutter um, is about a, a Navajo um, crime scene photographer. 
Um, and so that one was also voiced by someone I know. And then there's a new kind of horror anthology coming out called Never Whistle at Night. Um, and okay. that I have another friend that's voicing a story in that because that's another one, a, a bunch of like cultural sh- stories about why we don't whistle at night. So mm-hmm. not all cultures have that, but um, right. I I grew up like they would be like, don't whistle at night. You're going to call spirits, <laughs> right? Um, so somebody put together this an- anthology of short stories of why you never whistle at night. So um, those are just some a few examples. And then, of course, there's like... Um, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass is on audiobook, uh, and the author Robert Kim, um, Robin Kimmer reads that one. Her voice is so like beautiful and like soothing. Um, yeah, give it a listen. Yeah, that one is a, re- and that's a, um, it's a a nonfiction, but she talks about our relationships with plants, um, mm. and it's just a be- it's a beautiful novel. Uh, and then yeah, I could, I mean, there's there's a lot out there of Definitely. like native audiobooks but those are some of the top ones that I'm excited about definitely they sound really interesting and I love horror and all of kind of the sci-fi and all of those things so um but I just had to ask because I I do think it's incredible that you've got these indigenous stories that are being voiced by indigenous voice actors so if we can lift those up and get more people listening we should but now that I have had you go through all of these stories and authors what is your favorite book Oh gosh. Everything you've read. I know that's a hard one, but what would be Clementine's favorite? I, so I think, uh, I will say Water Lily by Ella Deloria. Um, just because that is, was foundational for my research. Um, and a, a lot of Ella Deloria's work. So for those that don't know, Ella Deloria was a Dakota ethnographer, um, Fred, uh, trained under Franz Boas, who is kind of the father of anthropology. That's such a fra- father of anthropology, right? But she was trained <laughs> under <quotes>. I know, <laughs> father. Um, but right, he kind of was foundational for the field of anthropology in Western Academy for today. Mm-hmm. Um, but so she was trained as an ethnographer and she was sent you know, this was at Columbia University in New York, and she was sent back to gather stories and gather information about Dakota and Lakota communities. And so, um, and this was in the like 30, right? Like 20s and 30s when A, women weren't really doing what she was doing um, in the same way that men were. And then she was a Dakota woman who was like, in the in the field of anthropology, gathering information um, for the Western Academy, and so uh, she compiled all these documents and tried to write. She she understood that she could not write like an academic book because no one would read it. Because she's a native, a she's native, b she's a woman. Right. Um, so she crafted a fictional novel called Water Lily, and that's based all on her um, ethnographic material. Um, and it wasn't, she wrote it in the forties and it, it wasn't published until the eighties after she died. Um, and it was only cause another, um, academic Dr. Agnes Peacock found the manuscript in the archives and was like, Hey, this is a novel. Like we should publish this. Do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really foundational, both to my reading, to my education. Um, I mean, my mom tells stories about, 
our her aunt Wanda um reading that book aloud in car rides right mm-hmm. like pre-audiobooks <laughs> just, I just think about how Water Lily and Ella Delores work has just been foundational to my own um to my own literacy so I would say that is probably my favorite book do you you know after having this conversation I'm very curious do you have aspirations to be an author? Do you want to be a storyteller and share stories or, you know, even if it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever it may be, is that something that you aspire to do? Well, my career will dictate that I will have to write have a book. to in some way. <laughs> yes. 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 So, right. Like I have, I, you know, this is a copy of my dissertation in book form. They give you that option to like, that's get cool. A- about now <laughs> I was like I guess I'll have a book you know of my dessert yeah. <laughs> your first book <laughs> um, yeah but I do I do I will write a book right that's part of the fellowship I have right now is to work on a book proposal an academic book proposal so mm-hmm. um so hopefully in the, I mean it's a very slow process for act for the academy but um hopefully in like four or five years, I will have an academic book that will be widely published. Um, but that's, you know, that's the goal is to write an academic book um, that will be available for the public, right? The dissertation lives mm-hmm. on academic platforms. So it's a little bit harder to access. But if anyone wants a copy of it, just they can email me and I can send them a link to the digital copy. What about fiction? Do you have any any interest in doing that? I'm just, I'm purely curious. I'm, I don't know yeah. really ask people this, especially those that I speak with that aren't maybe that traditional author, but with your background, especially with theater and, you know, diving into, you know, you, I mean, you went for your PhD in studying culture. Yeah. Any interest in that? No, I think more so most likely poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most of my I feel like my strengths are in um, academic writing or I, if anything, it would probably be memoir writing. I really like self-reflexive writing. So poetry or, or memoir, mm-hmm. um, I really enjoy as well. So I think that would probably be the other, aside from the academic writing, I'd probably lean more towards poetry and memoir. Incredible. Well, we we have gone through everything that I wanted to talk about. Is there anything else that you feel like you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I just hope people explore more Indigenous stories. And uh, whether that is through audiobooks or a physical, you know, I love a physical book. Obviously, I, you know, got a hard (laughs) copy of my dissertation. But I just really uh, encourage people to to seek out native authors who are who are doing cool new things and uh, just encouraging people to find to connect with more indigenous and Lakota authors and especially the ones here in the region. I think it's really exciting to see what is coming up. Thank you again for joining us for the Page Turners podcast and make sure that you keep an eye out for the next episode. And until then, please leave a review, share with a friend and check us out on social media at at Miss America SD to keep up with all things literacy and falling in love with reading. We'll catch you next time.